I'm Stone Freeman. I'm Stone Freeman. Alongside Stone Freeman. Seven on the game clock. 74-73, Fats for the win, got it! Two seconds left, Fats Russell! Excuse me? I'm Bishop Hendrick and I'm Stone Freeman. Excuse me? Stone Freeman. Oh! I'm Stone Freeman. Where'd they all go? From the State House in Providence, I'm Stone Freeman. For the record, boom, that's the one I'm using. Where'd all the haters go? Who's the weirdo in the post game? The Curry kid. That wrote Duxbury, D-U-C-K-S-B-E-R-R-Y. I can't find a single one. Oh, that's a Stone Freeman from URI. It's Freeman. Excuse me, what? Yeah, Stone Freeman. That's his name? Who's named after Stone Phillips? It's a good day to be a Ram, all right? I'll see you guys around town. And we're back. It's episode 13 of the Stone Freeman Podcast. Episode 12 was way back on January 21st, but we're back with episode 13. It's me, Stone Freeman, getting ready to bring you all things sports again. I had to take really those four months off to focus, lock in on my schoolwork, second semester senior, but it's done. I got a degree, a college graduate from the University of Rhode Island, a uh, bachelor's degree in journalism, and with that in my hand, I'm ready to get this podcast up and rolling this entire Entire, uh, summer really as well. So May, June, July, I'll start my new position with URI in August. But for the time being, I'm breaking down everything with you guys here on the Stone Freeman podcast. Before we go any further, make sure to subscribe to us on iTunes, like us on SoundCloud, follow us on Twitter at Stone Free Pod, and my personal handle, Stone P. Freeman. But today we got a loaded show right out of the gates. We're talking all things college basketball in the Ocean State to start off, going into some Bruins talk, obviously, and then we'll end with uh, a couple of the little things I wanted to mention about my time at URI. Again, just graduating. We're recording here on a Thursday. I just graduated from URI on Sunday, so we'll talk about that too. But the biggest news in the Ocean State is something I want to get into right away, uh, and it's the news surrounding Friartown. Ed Cooley, the head coach of the Providence College Friars, really given the hand to the University of Michigan to become their next head coach. And we should clarify, uh, he wasn't offered the job, but he was interviewed for the job. And uh, after he got his interview just within hours, meeting with Bob Driscoll, the athletic director at Providence College, to negotiate a contract extension and Ed Cooley staying in his hometown of Providence, Rhode Island, to continue to coach the Friars. Uh, I think the storylines have really all been there, and I do want to credit somebody. Kevin McNamara from the Providence Journal did a fantastic job covering this. He's the one that broke the news that Cooley was going to stay put in Providence, and he also had a great piece that came out earlier this week about really a story leading up to Ed Cooley signing that contract extension, the idea of him meeting with the Michigan athletic director down in Florida at the Big East um, coaches meetings and right after that meeting with Bob Driscoll for into the wee hours of the morning as McNamara said to iron out the specifics on a new contract and really getting uh, a new focus for Providence College basketball as t in terms of where this program can go next so credit to KMAC a lot of the quotes and whatnot that I'm going to be using come from his story but Friar fans can really rejoice now. They can take that big weight off their shoulders. Their coach is staying put. And uh, I will add, too, I mean, there's no mistake, and I just highlighted it. I am a URI guy, a graduate now of the university. But I will say, I wasn't really for Ed Cooley. Uh, going to Michigan. I think as a URI fan, there, there, there's a lot of, and for Providence fans, back towards URI, you do hope every once in a while, as much as you may say, oh, I only root against them one time per year, and it's our meeting in December. No, there's there's sometimes that feeling of, you know, can, can something just go wrong for them just to make me feel a little better? Uh, I certainly never felt that way about Ed Cooley leaving. Uh, I, I thought 
Ed needed to stay here. I thought it'd be a huge get for the university or the college, rather, uh, the Providence College, to keep Ed Cooley there, and that's exactly what happened. Uh, a couple terms came to my mind in reading these stories and following this coverage uh, of Cooley perhaps departing for Ann Arbor. And uh, the words I wrote down are commitment, right? Facilities, staffing, upgrades, all these different terms that come with coaches leaving or staying put. And commitment, it starts, though, with, again, Heights, it's 2020. We know that Ed Cooley is staying in Providence. But a couple days ago, commitment had come to my mind because it was from Michigan's perspective. What were they going to commit to Ed Cooley? Or how much commitment did they have to a guy that's only won one NCAA tournament game? And again, he's doing it at a high level at Providence College, but you go from John Beeline and two national championship appearances to now making a move towards Ed Cooley. How much commitment are you giving a guy like that? Uh, I also thought about Cooley's commitment back to Providence College. Uh, this is his home, obviously, right? A ton of great stories this weekend with his wife graduating from Providence College. Um, and I also thought about Providence College to Ed Cooley. What, what, what were the Friars going to do if it did come to fruition that he would get an offer from Michigan, which, of course, he didn't end up getting? Then facilities, right? I mean, Michigan, I, I, I can't say I've been out there, but it's a brand, right? I mean, everything about the University of Michigan, a football school, the big house. Again, Beeline had completely, I don't want to say transformed the program. Obviously, the, in the 90s, they had plenty of success, but really had – taken Michigan to a class program, to something that almost everybody but Michigan State fans respected. Um, and I'm, I'm sure whatever they had there in terms of physical facilities and also everything that comes with the brand could give to Ed Gooley. But also the new practice facility, $30 million that Providence College put in uh, for Cooley and his staff and really their program just last September. Thought about staffing, right? Because with those upgrades and whatnot, and that's the other term, uh, comes a great staff. You know, Cooley staff here in Providence is A+. plus. These guys can recruit at a high level. They're getting people to come to Providence, Rhode Island. Again, where this program was eight years ago is light years different from where it is now, and that's a credit to Cooley and this entire program as a whole. And upgrades, upgrades to everything. What, what was Cooley going to get if he went to Michigan? What was Providence going to give to Ed Cooley to keep him here? These are all the words that kind of were flustered in my skull. And I quickly realized that all of those words would get answers. First, the commitment factor. Cooley commits to Providence, but it's deeper than just committing to Providence College. It's pretty evident that this is his home, but not just home in terms of where he grew up. And again, I don't want to get too sentimental, but think of it as a human aspect. There's a certain, there's a certain feeling that home gives to you um, that you just feel comfortable. You just feel content. You feel your best. And I think that's what Ed Cooley really gets at Providence College. Now, the money, of course, and Cooley alluded to it uh, in his statements and whatnot, uh, money is part of the business. I'm sure Michigan would have offered, if they extended an offer to Ed Cooley, $6 million. And to a certain extent, money can talk. But what does Providence give Ed Cooley that Ann Arbor doesn't? It's where he's from. It's everything about Ed Cooley. It's ingrained in him. Uh, it's pretty evident the way that he recruits this area. I mean, he just locks down a guy like David Duke from, from Providence. The way that Ed Cooley holds himself, uh, that charismatic type of person, I think he almost credits it to growing up in Providence and being at home. 
So quickly, I understood that that Friar fans in particular never have to worry about Ed Cooley leaving Providence College. That's for sure, right? I mean, I think that goes without saying now because he turns down a school like Michigan. Now, I know Michigan's not a top five job in the country, top 10 job in the country. A lot of people had it in the top 20. I think that's a fair assessment. But for a while, everybody would say, Ed Cooley, there's only about 15 jobs maybe less, that Cooley would actually leave Providence College for, right? And I don't think Michigan was one of them. But then you see the money that gets thrown in. You get you get to see what Beeline has done in the past couple of years, and you're going, okay, maybe he does go. And it quickly became evident, obviously, after uh, the, press, the press release that came out and now the story from Kevin McNamara that Ed Cooley wasn't going anywhere. And now it's safe to say, I know Michigan's not Kentucky, Michigan's not Duke, Michigan's not a true blue blood, but... I think it's safe to say that Ed Cooley is a friar for life. With uh, He's going to get now, I think, just north of $3 million per year. Uh, he's got everything going for him now at Providence College. So I don't see Ed Cooley uh, going anywhere at all. But what happens now is that there's a newfound confidence around Providence College basketball. Uh, and Providence College Athletics as a whole. And I know from the fans' perspective, uh, the word national championship gets thrown around all the time. And I think, to credit Friar fans, to credit any fan base, if you're not dreaming big for your teams, then I don't think you're doing your team any good. Now, I'm not saying put pressure on your teams, but I think that is what makes fandom so much fun, is that you are entitled to those uh, kind of over-exaggerations. I mean, again... My roadie Rams, if, if you're close to me and you hear me talking, you know that I have this preconceived notion that one day uh, I'm going to see my Rams win a national championship. Now, I know, I know to a lot of people, they're going, Stone, you're smarter than that. But listen, that's the fun part about being a fan is that we can dream that big. So from the perspective of Friar fans, especially when your hockey team has won a national championship... To think that Ed Cooley and the Friars are going to win a national championship and to believe that as a fan, go ahead. I think that's, I think that's incredible. I think that's important. I think that's what makes fandom fun. But the confidence in the program has changed because you're now seeing the term national championship used from the top down when talking about college basketball at Providence College. And two statements stuck out to me, and they both come from athletic directors at Providence College. First was from Bob Driscoll in his press release saying, Ed and I talked about taking the program to a different level and what we need to do to continue to build towards winning a national championship. That's from the Kevin McNamara article. And when you have your national, when you have your athletic director alluding to national championships, there's a confidence now within the program that the standard has been set, right? I mean, five NCAA tournament appearances in a row, uh, seven postseason trips in a row with two NITs sandwiching the five NCAA tournament runs. Um, And then I saw a tweet from the associate AD, Steve Mappalillo. He says, the goal under Ed Cooley is to get back to a Final Four and to win a national championship. Now, again, confidence in-house is so important, just like I said with the fans. To have that over-exaggerated confidence is important. But when you have athletic directors hinting at national championships and they get the guy that they want to do it back, and not only back, doesn't look like he ever going to leave, 
This is where the confidence becomes infectious. And now everybody is bought in. Now, again, Ed Cooley, right? I mean, we have to, we have to talk about the facts here. One in five in NCAA tournament games uh, since becoming the head coach at Providence College. Not exactly the best, obviously. But the confidence within the program has grown so much over the eight years that they're not even thinking about that right now. They're thinking about what we can do next to get the Friars closer to a national championship. And when you have those guys in-house, the leaders of your program, the leaders of your athletic department talking about that, I mean, obviously I'm only seeing this in statements and tweets, but you'd have to think that's kind of the lingo now when you get a hockey team that's won a national championship, your basketball team now gets to keep a head coach and not only just keep a head coach, prevent him from leaving for a school like the University of Michigan. I think the confidence has to be through the roof now, bigger than it's ever been. I can only imagine what the dunk is going to sound like in the first or second week of November when the Friars welcome a bye-game opponent into the dunk, and they are going to say, and the head coach of the Friars, Ed Cooley, people are going to go nuts, not just because they love Cooley, but because they know what happens with Cooley staying at Providence. They know the wheels in motion that their program can continue to make the steps. So there's a high standard now, and there probably has been if you talk to most people inside the athletic department. There's a high standard for success at Providence College. And I think that's that 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 needs to be recognized. Again, you kept your coach from going to Michigan. He's here, and we're talking about winning big time. In-house confidence, though, the one thing about it can be temporary can be temporary. And I know right now you're not worried about post Bob Driscoll, post Ed Cooley. Why would you? I mean, I mean, it looks like we're right in the prime of Providence College basketball. We shouldn't have to worry about that. But in-house confidence can be temporary because these people don't last forever. Whether they retire, whether they move on, whatever, they don't last forever. So right now, enjoy it. But what you have to understand, though, is that, at least in my opinion, national confidence is the stuff that's evergreen. Winning at the national level, holding on to those standards, but also making them come true in a certain way, right? So you have a standard of excellence, you have a standard of winning, and you're going to hold true to that, and you're going to say, you know, the proof is in the pudding. That's where the stuff becomes really dangerous territory for the rest of the country. Now, I'm not saying, right, if Ed Cooley doesn't win a national championship, he's failed. Of course not. Of course not. I'm just saying... Cooley has to hold up to his end of the bargain. His program has to hold up to their end of the bargain and win at the national level. And that's when you're going to see that infectious attitude go way outside just the walls of Providence College. In-house confidence is temporary, but national confidence is evergreen. It is so important to win at the national level just to let the world know to a certain extent, to let the country know that the Friars are here. Because inside, you can talk that way. But how are you going to get that message out to everybody? And that is winning at the highest level. So Cooley has to hold up to his end of the bargain. In return, then the athletic department has to hold up to their end of the bargain. But I mean, how... I think we're overanalyzing this to a certain extent, that's for sure, because here's the baseline fact. The Friars kept their head coach, kept him from going to a school like Michigan, and not only that, they have the confidence to pretty much do whatever 
they want right now. Now, of course, like I said, proof is in the pudding. They got to win. But the confidence is there. The standards are set high. And this fan base, this entire culture surrounding Providence College basketball is buzzing. We're going to take a second. We're going to talk URI hoops just after this. All right, so now we're moving down 95 South. We're going to get on to Route 4. Eventually, we'll get to the University of Rhode Island. We talked Providence College basketball and the news around Ed Cooley. Now we're talking URI hoops. Uh, And again, I tweeted this out. I know in May, it doesn't seem like we'd have a half hour plus of content surrounding college hoops, in particular, just around two programs here in Little Rhodey, but The fact of the matter is this, there has been a lot of news surrounding both. Obviously, the Cooley storm uh, down in Providence, but in Kingston, there's been a lot of commitments and transferring and whatnot that has kind of uh, given Rhode Island fans that sense of urgency for November, right? I mean, it's it's bad enough we got a couple months to wait, but it's even worse when the summer ain't in here yet, and in May, we're talking about it. But we got a commitment here to uh, David Cox's program from Jacob Topin, and uh, Mario Matting is, uh, has entered the transfer portal. So I want to break down all this for Rhode Island fans now in terms of what they'll get at a next season, David Cox's second season at the helm of URI. Uh, again, I think the storylines are in place for this team um, based on last year. You have that skid in the middle of Atlantic 10 play where the Rams really struggled, uh, and then you kind of burst the doors wide open. You get the win at Dayton, win at St. Joe's. You close the year out at versus UMass. A couple other wins in there are missing, and then you upset VCU in the A-10 tournament and unfortunately lose on Saturday in the Atlantic 10 tournament to St. Bonaventure. But – there's buzz there is, is where I'm going with this. There, there is deserving hype around this program into year two of the David Cox helm um, that now it bears us to, to have a discussion about it here uh, in the early weeks or late weeks of May. But Jacob Topin has committed to the University of Rhode Island. He's a 6'7 forward who David Cox said in his press release is a big-time shooter with great size and length. So a guy that's long and he can shoot the ball. Uh I don't know if you saw last year's uh, percentages for URI from three, but Rhodey could use a shooter right now. And of course, they got the commitment from Jeremy Shepard, the uh, junior college transfer that also spent a season at East Carolina that can really shoot the three ball well. Uh, That's where Rhode Island needed a fix, that's for sure. So if Jacob Topin can shoot and uh, David Cox is speaking well on his behalf, well, count me in. Uh, He carries that Topin name, obviously. Obi is his brother, uh, the guy that's doing between-the-leg dunks at Dayton and and has taken the Atlantic 10 by storm in his freshman year. Uh, But this is a guy that didn't have an offer this time last year. I saw that that tweet earlier this week about how he quickly racked up five offers plus from St. John's, Dayton, URI, Oklahoma State, and Virginia Tech. And I think those offers kind of speak for themselves, obviously. Uh, St. John's, again, is in a little bit of, I don't know if you want to call it a rebuild, but a coaching change, as is Virginia Tech. Um, But Dayton and URI, they've been the class of the Atlantic 10 over the past couple seasons, and they both had their eyes on this guy, Anthony Grant, and so did David Cox. Ty Bob. Oswell was the lead guy, the lead assistant coach uh, on the Topin commitment. So I think that's also critical to point out because Ty is a young assistant coach that really has helped Dan Hurley in the recruiting game and is now helping David Cox. This is a guy that has deep ties in different AAU programs around New England, and uh, he helps secure Jacob Topin. But Topin is another forward, and this is where I want this conversation to go right now. Rhode Island now is stock full 
of forwards, uh, which is something that I think the Rams didn't have last year. This is why Jermaine Harris, uh, Surreal Langevin, and Christian Thompson to a certain extent, Tyrese Martin was kind of a stretch for. It's why these guys had to play a lot of minutes because the depth uh, just wasn't there. So I, I wrote down all the forwards for URI in a couple exceptions to the rule. Uh, but of course, you're going to have Jermaine Harris, Surreal Langevin, Dana Tate. That's another guy I should mention. He kind of turned it on. Uh, I was really impressed with how he played in the Atlantic 10 tournament, had that putback dunk versus VCU that was just vicious. Um, but now you have Harris, Langevin, Tate, uh, now add Jacob Topin, Antoine Walker, the uh, transfer from Georgetown. Um, Makai Long, he's another freshman that is listed as a forward. I even throw Tyrese Martin in the mix. I know he's a 6'6 guard, but he really is playing the stretch forward position because a lot of the times, obviously, it was him, Jermaine, and Surreal along that front line, and then the backcourt was Jeff and Fats. So Martin, to a certain extent, is a forward. But this leads into Mario Matting. Now, Matting is a technically a freshman coming up this year, but he transferred into the program uh, and sat out the, the second semester of the school year, so really all of Atlantic 10 play. You saw him on the bench, but Manning enters the transfer portal. And again, I have, I have nothing but speculation here. This is just me kind of looking at numbers and looking at different guards, uh, different forwards on the court, but Manning had to have seen the writing on the wall. He's got to have to look at how many forwards are not even so much playing in front of him, but are just on the team right now. I mean, I can name off a couple that I think are going to play before him, and it's Harris, Langevin, Dana Tate. Uh, I'll even throw in, again, I'm, I'm putting Tyrese Martin in this category, but Tyrese Martin, Antoine Walker, just because he has a little bit more experience. I mean, they're, they're right there are four or five guys that are guaranteed to play in front of Mario Maddie. Then on top of it, you add another freshman in Makai Long. You add uh, another guy like Jacob Topin. And Mario Maddox probably looking at his minutes. And that's where I don't blame student-athletes ever for wanting to transfer if it's based on minute totals, especially when, when you're this young. And a guy like Maddox who hasn't even played a second of college basketball yet, uh, that's just what kind of happens in college basketball. People want minutes. Christian Thompson, obviously, in a little bit of a different situation. He's a grad transfer, so he's immediately eligible to play anywhere from Louisiana, goes back home to play uh, for Ron Hunter at Tulane in the American. Listen, I'm not saying Tulane is a better basketball school than Rhode Island, but you probably get a little bit bigger eyes on you playing in the American, and this is a guy that's going to want to play overseas and continue his basketball career. You see how many minutes are ahead of you here at Rhode Island. You head down to Tulane. You can go home and play. Again, I do not blame Christian Thompson at all. He had a great career here at Rhode Island. But that's how it works. So this is a guy like Mario Madden that's just looking around. He's saying, all right, there's an awful lot of forwards in front of me. Um, I'm going to have to prove myself a bit. Maybe the transfer portal is best. Now, I don't know the rules too much on the transfer portal. Uh, but I do know it doesn't guarantee that you're transferring. He's still listed on the Rhode Island roster for now on GoRhodey.com, um, and that's because he hasn't committed anywhere yet. But when you enter the transfer portal, it just shows the intent to transfer from the university. But believe it or not, um, I think this is a good problem to have for the University of Rhode Island. And I say that because last year the Rams didn't really have many minutes to go around. We saw David Cox have to really tighten up his bench 
almost the entire season long, right? You have your starters for the first half of the year. It was Christian Thompson, uh, Jeff Doughton, Fats Russell, Surreal Langevin, and Jermaine Harris. Thompson kind of fizzled away a bit. Tyrese Martin impressed. He goes into the starting lineup. And Martin and Christian Thompson kind of flipped spaces, though. Um, one became the starter, one went to the bench, and then they swipped roles. Um, but other than that, there really wasn't premier bench roles. Again, Dana Tate came off the bench a bit. We saw a little bit of Ryan Preston. Uh, I'm probably forgetting a player or two in between somewhere, but, but there wasn't an impressive amount of minutes for David Cox to roll around with. This year, it's like night and day. David Cox has all the makings of a deep, deep team. Again, you add two transfers with um, uh, Antoine Walker from Georgetown and then Jeremy Shepard, who can play right away, a shooter and a forward. That's going to help out. Uh, you add another freshman class under your belt, and now you're hoping that some of these freshmen that not so much struggled but had to develop a little bit more are now ready to go. Omar Silveri also departed too. Not that he was taking up a ton of minutes, but that again is another guy that comes off uh, the bench that that you're just not going to have. Uh, so David Cox is going to have minutes to throw around this year. Uh, I think the starting five will be just the starting five we saw at the end of the year. Jeff Downton and Fats Russell will be your guards. Then Tyrese Martin, uh, Surreal Langevin, and Jermaine Harris. But now you look at the bench, and you're going to get a guy like Jeremy Shepard off the bench. You're going to get a guy like Antoine Walker. You're going to get uh, these freshmen to come off the bench too. And now you're looking at some more minutes that David Cox and his staff can play with. But that's the fact here. Uh, Jacob Topin's commitment here and, and kind of just the name and the reputation that he carried is just another name to throw in the mix. Mario Matting wants to transfer. All the best to him. We didn't get to see much of him, unfortunately. But this is just the way college basketball works out. But that's my thoughts on URI basketball. We got the whole summer ahead of us, too. I think Rhodey's got two scholarships less left, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so I don't know what the, how they're going to work with those. But I just think the minutes are night and day between last year and this year. Rhode Island has um, some minutes to throw around. That's for sure. All right, when we come back, we're going to talk NHL. We're going to switch over to the Bruins. They're going to the Stanley Cup and also recap my time at the University of Rhode Island. Stone Freeman Podcast, Episode 13, rolls on. Don't forget to follow us on SoundCloud, subscribe to us on uh, iTunes, and also interact with us on Twitter at the Stone Freeman and at Stone Free Pod. Well, we're back here with Episode 13, talking NHL. And the Bruins, the Bruins are on to the Stanley Cup to take on the St. Louis Blues. So an exciting time to be a Boston fan yet again. Monday, Memorial Day, will also start the Stanley Cup Finals. Bruins are the home team in that series, so they'll have the first two games right at home in the TD Garden. But admittedly so, I'm not the most you know, hockey keen guy, uh, in the world. That's for sure. Definitely follow the Bruins, uh, as closely as you can. But when you get so much going on during different seasons and different games, the NBA, the same way, I, I can't say I watch every single Bruins game or every single Celtics game, every single Red Sox game, Patriots a little different and college basketball, because it's so much easier to do just that. But you kind of focus in a little bit more on them, uh, during postseason runs. And, and there's something that has stuck out to me during this, uh, Bruins, postseason run that I think is very obvious and uh it's the play from Tuka Rask right I mean they they sweep the the conference finals uh onto the Stanley Cup now Tuka's 8-0 as a starter in um 
conference finals matchups. And I can't stress enough the importance of his play, but I think that's the obvious factor. The not-so-obvious factor is how in Boston, uh, with all the sports teams, professional-wise, um, the athletes are this city's celebrities. Uh, I think that goes without saying, right? Everybody all the time says, well, Boston's no New York or Boston's no Los Angeles. Um, what they're really hinting at is Boston does not have the kind of, you know, shelf life that New York and LA has or glitz and glamour aspect, these things that bring people to the city outside of sports. Now, Boston has history. I know that. And I'm sure there'll be people that argue with me and say there's plenty to do in Boston because, of course, there is. But the fact of the matter is this, is Boston thrives off of its athletes. Those are our celebrities. I always use the Celtics as an example. Uh, if you look at the Knicks, right, they always have Spike Lee on the sidelines, or the Lakers always have Jack Nicholson on the sidelines. But what about the Celtics? Well, the Celtics have, one, their ownership sits on the sidelines, but also Belichick sits with their ownership, or during the postseason, their play-by-play guy, Mike Gorman, is one of the studs on the sidelines, or other casts of Patriots. And then at Bruins games in the box, seats will always be the Celtics, even though they were in a postseason run and they'd still show up and support the Bruins. These other athletes become the celebrities, the flag bearers for the Bruins. Uh, I think Edelman and Gronk have done that before. This is what happens in Boston, and it's happening with Tuka Rask, is they're cementing their legacy as not only athletes, but how significant they are to the city. I mean, there's an extreme example, right? The 2013 Red Sox. 2013 Red Sox have the Boston bombing and everything that goes on, and that team really exemplifies it. But I always look at now Koji Wahara just announced his retirement. And Koji really... His single season in 2013 with the Red Sox was was flat-out outrageous from the first pitch he threw all the way until closing out the World Series against the St. Louis Cardinals. Koji cemented himself as a Boston icon. Not top five all time, not anywhere close to the David Ortiz and the Larry Birds of the world and the Ted Williams, but Koji Uehara, just based on that, really on that postseason run, the regular season was great too. He became the closer and high-five city and all that stuff, but his postseason excellence is what separates the men from the boys. Now, there's a lot of people that do this across other sports too, but in Boston, it's never been more important to perform at a high level in the postseason because that's how you get remembered, not only as an athlete, but as a human being, right? Sometimes it can work to the opposite. Players that don't show up. I I, I, ha- I don't think I've seen a example quite like Kyrie Irving. Kyrie Irving did the exact opposite. Kyrie was so loved because the way that he played in the first round against Indiana. And that quickly, completely flipped based on the way he played against Milwaukee and the fact that he had looked like he had zero desire to be there. There were people that two weeks before the Milwaukee series were calling for Kyrie to stay long-term. And those same people flipped on him so quickly the second he doesn't show up. Tuka Rask, though, has proved that postseason-wise, he's a pretty darn dominant goaltender, in particular during the 2013 run to the Cup, and now here, it seems like an eternity later, but in 2019. And the way the Bruins are built, they're built in a unique way. They have this older cast of characters that are so loved. Patrice Bergeron, now Tuka Rask, Zidane Ochar, these guys that have become household names and staples for wearing that spoke B. And also, on the other hand, though, the Bruins have this young, you know, crop of talent, Jacob DeBrusque and Charlie McAvoy and so on and so forth. Not to mention their coach is pretty darn likable, too, in Bruce Cassidy. 
But the Bruins exemplify exactly what good teams in the history of Boston sports have done. They kind of seem likable, or they are likable rather. Uh, a couple dominoes fall their way, and now they find themselves in a predicament to win a championship. That's darn important in any city, but none like the city of Boston because of the excellence it demands from all of its teams, right? I mean, I think a lot about different guys in different cities that have kind of cemented their names. And sure, they mean a lot to that organization, to that team. But do they mean a lot to the city? Some probably do, but no more than the guys in Boston. And I think the pressure kind of falls into the hands of the Bruins and the Celtics because the Bruins, I mean, listen, in the grand scheme of things, an eight-year title drought ain't that much. And the Celtics, uh, of course, the... Their prior dominance kind of gives them a little bit more of a cross to bear, but they're, but they're working with, you know, 2008 was the last time they won, so here we are. They're going on an 11-year drought. I don't know if that's necessarily that much either. But the fact the Patriots have stayed dominant, it seems, and the Red Sox have been dominant across uh, the past 20 years, it puts pressure on teams like the Bruins and the Celtics to perform. Now, the Bruins came up, and they have performed at the highest level that they can. And again, they have the cores to do just that, and they're likable. And of course, it also helps them that the Lightning got swept in the first round so they don't have to worry about that juggernaut of a team down in South Florida. But the fact of the matter is this is the Bruins have built themselves in a way where if they win, again, they'll cement themselves. It'll complete this trifecta of Boston sports to win three, the Celtics, of course, being the outlier. But what this does for the Bruins is it creates that sense of longevity. It creates that sense of they are also here with the Patriots, with the Red Sox. Again, the Celtics past history kind of helps them, but the Celtics to stay up to speed with the rest of the city. Now, one other thing I really love about Boston sports in particular is, again, we're recording here on a Thursday, OTAs were open to uh, the media today, and I saw on a bunch of Twitters that uh, a lot of the Patriots showed up with Bruins hats on, including Bill Belichick. This is the norm now. This is the norm, that, that these teams are all synonymous with one another. And not only synonymous with one another, but they genuinely understand the importance of winning a championship because they've all done it. So the Patriots showing up at practice with Bruins hats on, again, I don't want to look too much into it, but to me, it's a subliminal nod that's like, we've done it, so can you. Go out and do it, right? There's not so much of these teams supporting one another when they don't know what it means to win a championship. But in Boston, again, it's this unique vibe, this unique vibe where the, where the athletes are at the center of everything, it seems, and not only at the center of everything, but they can relate to one another because of how much winning they actually do. Now, again, the Celtics are kind of falling behind a bit, right? And, and I don't know, we'll discuss this over the summer as NBA news comes about and the draft comes about as to what the Celtics will do. But focusing on the Bruins, the Bruins are in this unique spot because of the play of Tuka Rask, because of the different uh, generations that they seem to have represented, this older core and this younger core, and a great head coach, um, that they seem to be able to do some pretty special things. And that's why I'm really interested to see and really excited to watch this Stanley Cup final. And again, um, just because I'm a 21-year-old kid, I'd really like to go to another parade, you know. And I put this in, uh, in a Facebook post after the Patriots parade. And of course, it's just a poke fun. But New York gets the Macy's Day parade once a year. Well, Boston 
we get championships parades not once, not twice, potentially three times in a 12-month stretch. Pretty darn impressive. Game one of the Stanley Cup Finals begin on uh, Monday. Monday's the holiday Memorial Day. It begins then, and the Bruins are looking to take home Lord Stanley's Cup. After this, we wrap things up. Stone Freeman Podcast, episode 13. Episode 13 of the Stone Freeman Podcast now comes to a close. We wrap up and in the final couple minutes here, I got no notes in front of me, nothing. Just want to speak uh, here to you guys, the audience, the listeners. Uh, the past four years, again, I just graduated the University of Rhode Island this past Sunday. I'll pursue my master's degree from that same university starting in September, as well as working with the athletic department as a media relations assistant starting in August. So uh, I'll be busy the next uh, the next couple months doing some podcast work before the new chapter of my life begins. But I wanted to thank you all for tuning in uh, to each and every single one of these podcasts. Again, we had to take a break this uh, second semester, but first semester, I, I noticed the viewership, everybody that wanted to come back and listen and anxiously waiting for the next one. Uh, and we are going to do just that over the course of the next couple months. Going to produce some high quality podcasts, get some more guests on and talk our way through the summer months, keeping you interested in uh, sports around the ocean state and sports around New England as well. But the past four years overall at the University of Rhode Island have uh, exceeded the expectations. Uh, from Rhode Island, obviously, a Warwick native, as I've said multiple times on this program, and uh, decided to stay home at my home university. And I, I think respectfully so, too, People probably question that coming out of high school, you know, if I was going to try to find a bigger university with a bigger communications or journalism program. And sure, at first, that probably sounds like the like the right move. But here we are again, four years later and zero regrets. Uh, we've done a lot here in the past four years uh, from the success on and off the court in our athletic department and university, uh, but also my personal growth and largely because of people like you before the podcast, just interacting with me on Twitter and social media, as well as following me along different stops as sports director at WRIU and sports editor at the Good Five Cent Cigar. Uh, we've had a blast, but there's plenty more. Again, I, I cannot stress that enough. This is not the end. This is only the beginning. We're going above and beyond this summer we're going to blow this podcast up uh we're going to get some merchandise out there for you guys to get a hold of to continue to interact with me on twitter and social media because we want the stone freeman podcast to become a household name across the great state of rhode island and beyond so with that though i want to wrap up here with a couple things about my time at uri i will say this uh, covering NCAA tournaments ha was by far the pinnacle. Uh, getting to see an Atlantic 10 championship was also pretty darn cool. Uh, even this year, I know probably not what roadie fans wanted. You want to see your team win your conference tournament and make a postseason bid, but that win over VCU was as electric as they come, uh, being in Brooklyn with uh, the WRU guys and getting to interact again with you guys, getting to meet some of you guys was so important to me, so important. So um, those were fun. Uh, NCAA soccer games, we covered those. Football, getting above 500, and also branching out. I love getting outside of the comfort zone, so I know we've talked a little bit of Bryant hoops, a little bit of PC basketball on here. Doing all that and more has, has really been the, the 
premier part of uh, the past four years of college, and we're going to continue to do just that. Uh, as time goes on, we'll get into the specifics of what I'll be doing over the course of the next couple months uh, with URI, but for now, let's keep enjoying, keep listening to this podcast. You can find us on iTunes, the Stone Freeman Podcast, on SoundCloud, the Stone Freeman Podcast, and on Twitter and Instagram as well. You can follow my personal handles uh, at the Stone Freeman and also at Stone free pod that's going to do it for episode 13 of the stone free and podcast we talked college hoops we talked uh nhl hockey and now we're going to get ready for next week's edition as well episode 14 will be coming up next week but for now episode 13 is in the books we'll see you around town